the, the idea of a framework is if you're in one of those verticals and you're not seeing recorded search volume, but you kind of know these frameworks, you can still build content that's very bottom funnel and high converting likelihood. Uh, some examples, I, I mentioned some of them there, cost of your product. So say it's like content marketing cost or uh, competitor versus competitor. Those are very obvious frameworks. Competitor alternative is another framework that very often works. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO. So I'm your host, George Hasiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Ross, Ross Hadzens. Ross is the founder and CEO of Siege Media, and 120-person SEO-focused con marketing agency. Siege made the Inc. 5000 the last five years and works with great SaaS brands like Asana, QuickBooks, Mint, and more. Ross, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So before we dive in, and I have many interesting questions uh, prepared for you today, I would like to uh, know uh, a couple of things about you uh, and, your, and your background. What has brought you to where you are today? Yeah, so uh, uh, from a content marketing agency, we've been doing this for around 10 years, going on 10 years now. And I originally worked at an agency as my first job out of college, an SEO agency with Sujin Patel, which many people might know he's well known and runs MailChimp, an email marketing software that is doing quite well today and got my start there. I'll do the short version, but uh, I uh, ended up kind of blogging on the side in the SEO world, kind of got known for link building specifically as my expertise in SEO, was building websites internally, ended up with a manager who micromanaged me. Google Penguin happened, which for those who are not aware, basically looked at links that were manipulative and devalued them. Uh, so it seemed like the world was changing and kind of going towards this content marketing thing. So I didn't really see what I was doing at my current job being sustainable long-term. I was a little wrong about that, but because I had been blogging on the side and doing SEO and link building, I kind of had some content marketing expertise, had SEO expertise, and then had a few clients. So made the jump and kind of thought going this content marketing direction would be a nice niche uh, to, to lean into. And yeah, kind of the rest is history of, of grinding that out over time. And yeah, 10 years later, we are where we are today. For the record, let me just say that uh, Seeds Media is the agency I look up to when uh, I get the question, how would you like this thing to evolve? Um, I'm, I'm you know, excited about pretty much everything that you guys do. Uh, and I, I've been following you for quite a while now. Uh, I would like for people who don't know um, to tell us a couple of things about what is Siege Media, um, who 
is you know using the service and who gets the most value out of it yeah thanks for asking that we our kind of tagline is we're seo focused content marketing agency and we help great brands scale so that generally means we're a best fit for medium to enterprise sized companies that have a big seo budget and it's big enough that effectively sort of technical and then content are two sides of the line item. And we're kind of the fit for the content where you need enough expertise and hopefully premium service to do that. Well, uh, we have a lot of designers on staff. Some people might not know that, but we see content as not just writing. So we're very visual. We tend to skew a little more B2C or professional consumer B2B more often um, because of that. And through, through my background and over time, we've also been pretty good at link building. It tends to also be more natural to do in B2C markets from the manual standpoint. But increasingly, we're doing more and more kind of passive link generation as a focus and trying to get people um, to rank through the content we create and promote. Yeah, and we'll talk about that definitely uh, because I know that you have a strong focus on, on link building and building uh, assets that help brands um, acquire links passively, which is not something that uh, many agencies do. But I'd like to start by discussing something that I've seen in one of your uh, YouTube videos for, from a couple of months ago, which is the idea of KOB analysis uh, as a way to select keywords at scale and make more well-informed decisions when it comes to keyword selection. Now, I have two questions here. The first is, what's wrong, in your opinion, of course, with the way most businesses select keywords and the second one um, is how do you approach KOB analysis at Siege? Yeah, uh, so uh, how people do it wrong, several ways it would be my response to that. So first is they only would use a keyword. So they might search content marketing tips and they'll just see the keyword volume for that and then just run off that. That's by itself an issue because keyword volume is not reflective of click volume. So clicks are more important. Like what is terms say, what is content marketing that say 10,000 people search that maybe only 30% of people will actually click something. So for us trying to get people to our websites is important to know click volume. So we knew that. And from the way to kind of get around that and do a better job of that would be to look at the topic opportunity or at least look at the click volume for the keyword. But we look at topic opportunity, which is if you put in content marketing tips and then see what website most like you is ranking number one, you put it into HRS or your tool of choice and you'll get the total traffic opportunity as well as the traffic value opportunity for that topic. So that gets all the keywords that you can potentially rank for rather than just one. And then finally, as part of that process, we also look at keyword difficulty. Uh, as far as my knowledge, today, you can't really look at uh, topic difficulty, but you can look at that biggest keyword, look at that difficulty. So if you're a brand new business, you're probably not going to be able to rank for content marketing as a term. So you should be using that as a consideration for your work. So this is all kind of leading into how we do it at Siege is all of that. We, we look at the traffic value as well. So that's also another piece is you don't just want to look at the traffic. I mentioned traffic value you want to make sure you can actually monetize that topic. So by leaning into value, you do a better job of that. You do need to think on your feet and make sure those terms are actually relevant for you. Because just because it says there's a lot of money doesn't mean you can monetize that as a business. So we look at traffic value divided by the difficulty. This gives a KOB score. 
We then refine that further by scoping it. So we think one asset is interactive, as we were talking about before this call, compared to a simple post with maybe a few designs. That could be four times as much effort to rank for the interactive piece. So that might dilute the score by a fourth. So we would try to also find the full opportunity that exists for for a client, say 100 topics, we'll aim to get as many as 200. And this also makes sure that we're prioritizing and we didn't miss something that was super valuable as compared to just winging it in keyword research tools. So we build all that together, keyword research difficulty, create a new KOB score, resort it, also have other manual variables where we're thinking about outreach markets, seasonality, um, difficulty to write something. We want to, as we get to new, new clients, we want to be successful in the process. So all of those kind of lead up to how we typically kick off engagements with clients. This video made me realize that we have to rethink our own process at Minusia about how we select keywords, especially when it comes to selecting keywords to scale for clients who want to scale things up or move faster, let's say. And uh, what we did is that we uh, essentially took uh, these metrics, keyword difficulty, volume, um, and some metrics that we have uh, come up with ourselves, um, also CPC, uh, from all these from, from AHRs. And essentially what we did is that we assigned a weight uh, to each of these variables, let's say. Um, and this process allowed us to come up with an opportunity score uh, on a scale from zero to 100, uh, which we have tried it with three or four clients, clients at this point, and it works really well. Uh, and this ha all happened because of the video I, I, I watched uh, on your channel. So thank you about that. <laughs> now, yeah. uh, speaking of keywords and keyword selection, uh, a while back, you, you started a Twitter uh, thread on keyword frameworks. This is something that I have never heard of before. Can you please uh, share with us what's behind this idea and how should businesses use keyword frameworks to get the most out of their current efforts? Yeah, this is something that's especially probably relevant to your SaaS audience, um, your SaaS listeners here. I think it's especially valuable for B2B markets, technical markets where there's often not as much clear search volume, but still very valuable audience. So the, the idea behind this is if you get if you're an experienced SEO, you, you, you work in enough client spaces, you kind of realize people search generally the same way everywhere. They might change the keyword, but they search what is X, uh, what is the cost of Y, and that is common across every market. So something that's unique to technical B2B markets is very often these keyword tools won't show much search volume, even though maybe the value is very significant for those companies. So the, the idea of a framework is if you're in one of those verticals and you're not seeing recorded search volume, but you kind of know these frameworks, you can still build content that's very bottom funnel and high converting likelihood. Uh, some examples, I, I mentioned some of them there, cost of your product. So say it's like content marketing cost or uh, competitor versus competitor. Those are very obvious frameworks. Competitor alternative is another framework that very often works. Jargon in your industry, like we knew, it's, it's hard to say if this would convert or not, but in our industry, like your money, your life, or eat came out out of nowhere, right? And that was like specific jargon for us that we could have, we would know would get search volume and what is eat, what is your money, your life. Those things would be 
clear as day. And one thing that I, uh, I've added to this and I think was a good point by someone, uh, or I saw it as an idea from someone else, even though the keyword tools don't show this, I would at least go to Google and also confirm through auto suggest there should be someone searching. It should suggest to you some of those terms. If you, if you put in your name, your competitor name and just hit space and not hit enter, you should get, should get some suggestions. And then based on your knowledge that these convert really well, you can use that. So that, that's kind of was one of the impetuses is we looked at some of our clients and saw topics that only had like 150 searches, but they had driven a quarter of a million in, in, in revenue. So it, we have to think a little deeper than just these keyword tools sometimes. That's, that's a very interesting approach. Uh, but can I ask you something based on that? What do you think about uh, specifically about alternative and comparison pages? Because obviously we ourselves as an agency serving uh, P2P SaaS clients, we have contributed to you know, the, the web having more alternative and comparison pages, uh, even though I don't feel particularly proud about that, uh, but we have done it. Um, but I, I, very often I, feel, I get the feeling that, you know what, this isn't going to work for... Um, uh, like, as I see it, Google sooner or later will see this as a loophole and uh, will say that, you know what? No, uh, you cannot suggest yourself as an alternative because this is biased. Con- and it can be unbiased, but I would like to hear your thoughts about, about that, whether or not it will become a problem in, in the future. I think that's fair. It's all, it's all how you approach the article. If you do it in an unbiased way, like every user must be aware of that reading the article. If you're effectively saying that you're the, the alternative and no one else is. So that's fair. I think most of the software comparison sites are also very biased. They Users might not realize it, but everyone's advertising for those listings. So I think it, you're, you, you might not be wrong there that in general, there's so much money in that space that it could be something Google would look at to have some kind of solution in the search result in some way. But if these are very niche topics, to our point, and we're not seeing search volume, like I would doubt that they're going to find a very clear way to, to solve for that. And they're probably, their stopping point is the fact that those third parties are biased in just the same clear way just in, in a different form, at least the first party version, it's a little more obvious to users that I'm recommending myself. The third parties are ironically, maybe even worse because you don't even realize that it almost seems like there should be clear. There is disclosure, but it's always very, very small. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, let me just say a couple of weeks ago, we uh, conducted a, a study uh, on software keywords, uh, we studied 473 software keywords uh, in the U.S. And we saw that um, more than 42% of the, the search results in, in the top 10 uh, were coming from review sites uh, like G2, Captera, and so on and so forth, and affiliate sites, which means that there is an affiliate relationship between the site and the suggestions, the recommendations. Which means that, I don't know, even if you do those pages and you have great feature pages or use case pages, you can call them however you like, you still need to, to play the game. Uh, and I don't know, uh, which is a pay-to-play game, of course, but uh, I guess that you, you have to do it. Um, 
a few weeks ago, uh, you published a, a video, um, and I guess that at this point everyone can realize that I, I'm watching you guys a, a lot. Uh, you published a video on blogs vs learning centers, okay? And I'd like to hear your thoughts on how building a learning center, for example, a con hub, at least as I understand it, uh, could benefit a, a business uh, from a very practical standpoint. Um, and also, what should people pay attention to when building uh, a learning center? Yeah, uh, learning centers as a short version seem to be most beneficial if, you're, if your product has a long sales cycle. So if customers need to build confidence in order to make a purchase, both in you and in whatever the product is, a learning center is a good way to do that. It's a more logical way of organizing content. Also, it helps people kind of move down the funnel. Most of this tends to be middle to bottom funnel content on a learning center. So that's another advantage of that as compared to a blog. Is blogs tend to be a little less natural to have strong conversion. See, like putting a lot of conversion elements on a blog. So a learning center can make sense to get a little more aggressive with that. Maybe not quite a software landing page, but a middle ground where you're having a, a few more calls, actions, with buttons, and things like that. You can naturally fit that in that context. Uh, so that's generally how we think about it is if you have a long sales cycle, you're going to want to educate them. And then the blog will make sense for other kind of content such that it just helps organize that information in a way that if you simply went newest to oldest, which is a kind of old school way of thinking of a blog, you're likely not going to maximize your conversions in that area. I guess this has an extension in the URL structure as well. Yeah. Like you kind of a, kind of a topic cluster, as I can understand it. Uh, you will have uh, something under a, a subfolder and then everything. For example, we are building uh, such a thing for one of our clients. Uh, we target the, uh, the term, the main term is product launch. And, you know, there are many things to discuss around product launch, like product launch strategy, product launch, uh, press release, and so on and so forth. So is this what you're saying? Like you will also try to uh, this to reflect in the, the URL structure as well? Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. Our general best practice that I recommend to our team is use a one-word term that imparts meanings to users. You definitely could kind of do two words, like you said there, like you use, I, I'm guessing you use product hyphen launch slash yeah. uh, I think that's very solid. Um, obviously, that's inflexible in some ways if you want to do other content around product launches, but maybe it would still make sense for you. Uh, but very often a learn center, you, I'm, I'm sure you've seen is like slash learn is a flexible way of doing that. But if you know your client is just product launch 90% of the work, that can make a ton of sense for sure. I agree with you. It's not so flexible because for example, we, we wanted to uh, publish a post on how to launch a product on product hunt or something like that. And, you know, it doesn't quite fit there. Um, but uh, I guess that it depends on the, on the case. Uh, I, I guess that would be the, the best answer here. Now, I would like to shift gears a bit and discuss content updates. Um, I don't know about you, but one of the most common questions that we get from our clients, especially after a content audit, uh, when it comes to content updates is, is this going to be... Uh, uh, you know, a partial update or are we going to completely rewrite, rewrite the piece? And I would really like to know uh, how you think about that and how you approach that at Siege. 
Yeah, so this factors into our KOB and project plan phase. So we, we've talked hourly about a KOB plan, but that segues into a deliverable. What we do is project plan, which probably is what it sounds like to people, is the order of content we're going to create. As part of that, for clients who we've either hit year two for or maybe already have a content inventory, we would also look at their existing content. So there, we could also scope, is this a partial update to your point or a complete rewrite? Uh, other way, so that's kind of a common way of doing it just to kind of make that difference. Other clients, we've kind of worked on a interval basis where we have, say, a set amount of time each month and we know on average, we think it'll take X amount of time. One piece might only take a small amount of time, but the other one might need several images and design. So it kind of balances out generally. Uh, that won't probably solve for a complete rewrite. So we did a counter that probably would kind of factor that into a, a complete scope um, change, which hopefully will still be like a fourth of what the original asset was, but still um, significant. So uh, the short version I was would be, I'd suggest working into that KOB process and project plan because the same idea too. I think it helps you think of like, what is the benefit of this change? If we get ranking for probably an eighth of the, the effort it would be to create a brand new piece for a new keyword, why are we doing new content? We should be doing updates and that's something we've recently tried to get better at and as the whole industry gets more mature it just makes more and more sense we haven't approached it that way and i really like it uh you have to factor in different things in order to to you know um make a, a decision uh, and i really like your your approach now i know that one of uh your main services is link building but i believe that your definition of link building is uh, completely different than pretty much any other agency out there. Um, now, one common threat, uh, I, I'm not into link building, okay, um, as, a, as a disclaimer, but one common threat that I, I see and I uh, encounter in discussions that I have with people uh, working in the industry is that link building tends to be really transactional. Uh, I link to you, you link to me, and so on. And as, a, as an agency that actually does manual outreach, um, how do you fight back uh, the transactional nature of link building? Yeah, our goal is to not do manual link building. Uh, we do a ton of it, but our goal is always, as we describe it to clients, is help them build a link building engine. So how we accomplish that is top funnel rankings for them. And there's definitely topics that tend to be more successful for generating passive links over time. But if we, especially in these B2C markets, there's a good amount of top funnel and you'll find a lot of these assets just naturally acquire links. But the reality is some, some clients are startups or lower domain rating or domain authority to start and they need manual link building or maybe a topic just needs that nudge. So we, we still do it. Um, it's still transactional. We don't do reciprocal links by any means, but we do have existing relationships that have been built over time. And we, we try to go big with our content. So we have great designers on staff, interactivity, as we touched on, we do animations. So we, we use that knowledge and also try to find people that have covered content like that in the past. So that is an indicator that they'll cover our content. So that helps hopefully remove the reciprocal nature is that we know which link markets actually link out online, then create content that tailors to it think through not wearing out those markets on a month-to-month -month basis, all that kind of factors into that. And hopefully 
we get ranking over time and build enough momentum that we can shift gears to actually not doing manual link building and just doing some of the updates that we talked about previously. I, I, I totally get it. And I, I like this approach definitely compared to, to the other one. I guess, I don't know how easy it is to communicate that to clients though, because it doesn't entail instant gratification. Like, okay, we got the link today. I will see my rankings go up, you know, next month. So it's, you know, struggling for me to understand how, how this can, uh, can work on a client relationship. I mean, uh, but I definitely like it uh, way more than, um, you know, trying to reciprocate, which, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like, what's the point? Uh, if I'm going to reciprocate, it means that what I have is not of much value to you. So why bother, I guess? Um, on the same note, uh, a few days ago, uh, I saw that you shared a tweet uh, on how brands should think about manual link building and specifically how they should calculate the value per link to understand whether or not manual link building can be really positive for, for them. Can you please share a few more things about your approach to, to building uh, backlinks manually? And if you can um, let us know when, in which cases you would say, you would point a, a company to another direction. No, this is not for you. You shouldn't do it. Yeah, this ties to that link building engine conversation. So. How the short version is we look at the traffic value of the winning competitor in the space that the thought being we can, that's probably where the most money is, is what their traffic value shows. We divide that by how many links they have linking root domains specifically that gives like a monthly link value. We then multiply that by 24 months to get a average lifetime or a reasonable lifetime value of a link. This doesn't account for like technical SEO or all those other things that are important, but it's still directionally valuable. And if we do this analysis and we see the value per link is say a thousand dollars, there's no way you can be building links ROI positive in a manual fashion because for many businesses, they'll spend in that range just to join one link. And that's not even accounting for risk and all that. So when we do this analysis, that kind of tells us a few things. One, Will it be ROI positive? And second, like how hard it is to generate links generally. So if that number is only a thousand, there's probably a good chance you can generate a ton of links simply through top funnel ranking. So that doesn't mean content marketing doesn't make sense for you. Sometimes it doesn't still, but a lot of times it'll be an industry, like one that comes top of mind is say wedding. You there's a ton of article, like if you just rank there, you'll just links will pour in. So you're not gonna do link backlink generation manually because it doesn't make sense because if you can just create high quality content once for a couple thousand dollars then you'll you'll get that probably fifty dollar per link cost from that two thousand dollar investment so it's how we look at that is that kind of tells us what approach we need to take immediately but we also do another side of like what is content worth to them as well do they have top funnel value? Sometimes we won't see there's link value. We won't see there's content value. That means maybe content marketing generally just doesn't work for them. So that's one of the things we we look at is we're like just trying to understand the ROI of working with us generally. That doesn't mean like some of those industries, they might generate links by their product at such scale. And something about content marketing, there's just that industry that they don't search for it as much as other industries. So that might be a, uh, an area where maybe we, we're not as, as strong of a fit. I think that's a great way to, to see it. 
Now, before we start wrapping things up, uh, I would like to hear your thoughts on the future of con marketing and uh, search in, in general. Uh, I mean, we, we all see and start to understand that we are shifting away uh, from the minds of, mindset of creating a 10,000 word uh, guide uh, to get uh, first page rankings. And also, uh, and I remember you, you mentioned that in one of uh, your interviews or videos, uh, that user experience, uh, you know, plays more and more, will play a prominent role um, in, in the future. And it already plays a prominent role. Um, and uh, maybe other formats as well, such as video and so on and so forth. So I would like to hear your thoughts uh, when it comes to that. Uh, because as I mentioned, as I see it at least, we don't need as, as much content anymore. Uh, in many cases, uh, obviously, it's always query specific. But I would like to hear your thoughts as to how do you feel, where do you think uh, things are going when it comes to con marketing and, and organic search? Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I think big, huge content is not as much of a need anymore to, to rank. Uh, it's really about, uh, I describe it as like 2x content as compared to 10x content. It's like, it's about the brand experience and if you can generate that each time, which is through user experience, that's like the most scalable sunk cost version of that. So I think the whole industry will continue pushing that direction of like higher content quality on a user experience standpoint. And we'll try to be fighting for, for, for brand as well. So that can all make a difference. Something I've seen more often that you kind of touched on with your strategy with the, the Learn Center is maybe more of a kind of like Hub, you still build a guide, but it's kind of individual pages as compared to all on one one page. I think that could make sense and is good for users is kind of getting them their answer to their problem as well. And probably also has some internal linking benefit, all those things. I generally push time to value for our team all the time. It's kind of a bummer that you, you need to like get users their answers in like half a second. And sometimes they might not even read your post, but that's that leans into your point that the 10k word guide isn't necessary anymore we just need to get users what they need as fast as possible some ways that's a race to the bottom but uh it's currently kind of the name of the game it seems and also i think that content and backlinks is something that many uh if not most of the brands out there can can uh can do and you know compete uh, against each other Providing a great user experience and building brand is not something that most uh, you know, brands can do because even though I have heard, I, I haven't seen a study about that yet, but I have heard and I guess that we, we all have heard about cases where if you're competing with a great brand in your uh, industry, for example, let's say that you're an e-commerce store and you're competing against um, Amazon, chances are Amazon, if, even if it's lower than you, it will get the click because of the recognition and all the things that we, we can all understand. But I think that user experience and brand are two maybe uh, untapped territories that you know, most brands are not competing uh, against, against each other yet. Uh, so there may be some, some opportunity there for, uh, for uh, you know, businesses. Now, um, we are ready to uh, wrap things up and I'd like to, to know uh, if there is anything interesting and exciting that we can expect from uh, Siege uh, in the near future. 
Yeah, uh, we we hope to be putting out slightly more blog posts in in the near future. We realize, hey, maybe we should use our great team on our own work. Uh, so we expect more of that. We're doing a lot of great videos, but realize to continue to push quality forward, we should often have a written supplement to go along with that. So that that's an exciting thing in the in in the 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 coffer. And also we have someone full time on on sales now, Drew Page who, if anyone listens to our, our podcast on occasion, uh, has been on there and he's great with data. So hoping to get some more data studies with our own uh, internal data, which we've got a good sample size of um, in the near future. So look forward to that as well. That's great. Uh, looking forward to that. Ross, where people can find more about you and uh, get in touch if they want to? Yeah, uh, if you find me on Twitter, Ross Hudgens, or on LinkedIn, I, I share content on both of those channels. Siege specifically, check out our, our blog. Our YouTube channel, as you touched on, is somewhere we're publishing frequently. And that will kind of push out to our blog posts that I'm describing and hopefully have more of in the future. That's great. That's a wrap. That was a great episode. Thank you very much for being on the show, Ross. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun. Another episode of the SaaS SEO show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.